you're able, would you remain standing? Just a word of information. This is a long passage, but it's a very important passage for us to listen to. So um, that's why this book is heavy and this table is helpful. <laughs> but it's important that we hear the words of Jesus because that's where we start. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, and what constraint am I under, <clears throat> excuse me, but I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? 
Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. All right, first thought that comes to mind. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Guys, it's instantly clear to you, right, what this said. People say that teaching the Old Testament is confusing. Have they read the New Testament? So there's a lot in here today. So I'm going to do something I have never done before, and I may not do it that smoothly, but this is a safe place. You're my family. It's okay. I'm going to do actually what Jesus does with this text and use illustrations. That's what all these things are. Um, my illustrations are going to be a little lighter and fluffier than Jesus's. Um, because I've had a week where talking about beatings and blows and authority problems is hard for me. So instead, we're going to have pictures of sunshine <laughs> and flowers. <laughs> You'll see how this all weaves in. I have two introductions. That's why my brain's going nuts. I'm picking the harder one because I'm an eight. All right. I met with Tim earlier this week to go over what I had prepared for the chapter. And he was super encouraging. He's just always great. And then the week went on, and I read an article and pushed a little button to see a little video. And even though my screen on my phone was only this big, and I didn't watch the video to the end, I was broken. And it seems to me that I've been up here before, the Sunday after something like this has happened. Which, at first, I was like, oh, poor me. I get the tough weeks. You can laugh and mock me for that. Poor me. I have to speak after this horrible thing happened to someone else more than once in our culture. And then I got mad at me because people have been telling us for a long time that this is going on. And until I see it in a videotape, I'm not broken. You guys do know what I'm alluding to, right? So I don't have to go into huge detail. It's a story in our culture that's not a story. It's a real life event that's going on where authority figures in charge, under stress, human beings, I get it, are abusing their authority in a way that costs the life of the innocent. And I'm angry. And so I'm thinking to myself, Tim and I hadn't talked about the fact that he was going to address this earlier. I'm so glad you did. Thank you so much. But I'm thinking, like, what do I do then this Sunday? And I'm praying about it. And I'm almost kind of not getting anything done. I had a very unproductive day, like the worst ever. And it struck me that I didn't need to change anything in my sermon 
because that was the message and the audience that God was already addressing. So in chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to the throngs of people, the thousands that are standing around, and this is their world. There's abuse of a power at every level. And he targets the Pharisees, there's religious abuse of power. Um, You probably want to think that churches are perfect, and I should leave that little bubble with you, but as a seminary professor, some of the things that make me most angry are when I hear about those kinds of abuses in the church, which we hear kind of a lot of from our students. And that's like double bad, because that's not where you expect to find it. But that's what these people are living with. They're living with a society that makes no sense. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. And Jesus comes in and he says what he has been saying through the whole of scriptures. There's a totally different perspective to this. And seeing that perspective will give you hope, give you a prompting to follow me, and it will help. I was talking to Kim during the turnaround and shake a friend's hand and tell them they're glad they're here. And that's not what we said because we already know each other. And so we got into this deep 30-second conversation <laughs> about what happened this week. And she said, I just don't know what people would do if they didn't have Jesus. And that's exactly what this chapter is saying. All of these potentially dif- difficult illustrations in chapter 12. So the one that Howard read, thank you for reading all of that so I can summarize it and explain it, and some of the ones that Tim's been talking to us are in fact not meant to be difficult, but to be clarifying examples all directed toward one aim. The title of today's talk, I never do titles either, but look at me. The title of today's talk is, if they put it up there, I'll know what it is, because I don't remember. I just wrote it down, and it was awesome. Aha, vapor, mist, and water droplets. And the reason I titled it this is because all through the Old Testament, God is giving this perspective shift to his people, the same one that Jesus is giving. And I happen to be teaching through a part of the Old Testament known as Ecclesiastes. And I'm looking at chapter 12 and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the same message. The message is that God wants his people to know him and see their place in the world. In fact, there are so many Old Testament thoughts in my head when I read this chapter, it almost hurts. But Ecclesiastes is the one that uses the the example of mist or vapor. Um, If you're a super Christian, I'm mocking you. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't. I'm taking that back. Uh, You may have heard of like Hevel or something like that. Uh, And it's the idea of, you know, the, the fog, the thing you can't quite see, the thing that doesn't last. And so I'm going to play with that image Uh, all the way through this sermon to try and take some of the points that Jesus is making here and put them in lighter, fluffier terms that I can handle this week, okay? And um, the reason that the author uses this mist and vapor um, droplet idea is because you're discerning between what has lasting value 
and that which evaporates, okay? That's kind of the, the image and how it's used. So in Luke chapter 1 through 11, you can go to the next slide, which I think I know what it is. Um, he, he gives us this illustration, and I'm going to replace it with a watery one, okay? And the illustration, and, and this is what Tim already preached, so I'm not going to go long with it. I just need to couch this whole thing for us. The illustration is you're scared of someone in power. But let me not explain it. Let me just do it the way that the movies do it, okay? Have you ever seen Phantom Menace? It's a Star Wars thing, okay? I almost was going to try and play the clip, but it's a little scary, and I didn't know our audience, so I left it. How many of you have seen the new Avatar, the water one? You guys can, like, interact. Okay, no one has seen Avatar. You all need to go to the movies more often, get a life, help my sermon out. <laughs> okay, They're, in both of those movies, they do the same thing. They have, you know, your main character, and they're racing through the water, and all of a sudden there's this and they're racing through the water. Massive beast shark that's chasing them. There's no way to escape. And spoiler alert for like 30 seconds of the Avatar movie I've now told you to go see, or something social, come on. Um, you're like, how are they going to get away? How are they going to get away? There's this beast, and it's the biggest thing you've ever seen, and they're terrified, and, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this like billion times larger beast comes and snaps the pursuer, and your main character goes free. That's the picture Jesus is drawing for them in verses 1 through 11. Don't be scared of people who can kill you, take your life. Fear God. Because as scary as they are, they got nothing on God. What this chapter is doing and what Jesus is doing in this chapter is changing their, um, their priorities, changing the way they see God so that, and here I'm going to, yep, good. Thank you, guys. You're doing great. How you see God changes the way you view life. If you are aware that there is someone so much greater holding all of this together and offering the correct judgment to the correct problem and the correct reward to the correct righteousness, we won't necessarily see it in our lifetime. And we can all live with a hope for the future. That's great. But that's not all we have. Do you guys get, it took me a little while to get this, that the person speaking to them is literally God? I so wish he had pulled like an Aladdin on them and just like inflated. There's this huge God in the world. Why are you scared of them? And of course, he didn't, because, I don't know, they probably wouldn't have listened anyway. But that's the image that he's trying to get in those first couple of chapters. So you got the bigger fish, like someone's persecuting you at work, or in this case, or even in the grossness we saw this week, and the way that some people have to live in constant fear of bad authority. There is something bigger. And that's a promise that we can cling to. 
He goes on from there, Jesus does, to say, okay, I just painted myself as like in charge of the whole world and kind of scary. I've been avoiding this because for some reason our culture doesn't like this. But he literally says, don't be afraid of the one that can kill you. Be afraid of the one that can put you in hell after he kills you. Boom, mic drop. I don't know why he keeps going. But he does. He doesn't need to. But he does. And he like changes the image. And he, he says, oh wait, oh I forgot an image, no wonder. Okay. First he says, you guys are all not just worried about authority, but you're running around and collecting and storing and getting bigger and better and growing faster. Blah, 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 blah. Do you get that it's like a sandcastle? And for this, I chose a sand art image. It's amazing. There we go. Check that thing out. I should have like done some research and found out how much time it took to make this. But we all know what's gonna happen with that, right? You do know why there's a picture of it that snapped really quickly so that there's proof that it ever existed. Because it's gone now. One rain, one wave, one toddler, or teenager doing it intentionally, and this thing's gone. And there's nothing wrong with making it. In fact, cool, I wish I could do that. That's not his message. It's bad to do anything on earth and store anything up. No, just do it with an awareness that it's so temporal. This artist should be our goal. Like, I'm gonna build something awesome for the sake of Building something awesome. The text literally says, because tomorrow you could die. And it's over. And this goes back to that water droplets kind of idea. We need to understand who we are. Okay. Then, to the point I was going to go a minute ago, then he keeps going and he says, I just told you how massive I am. Literally, fear me. And then I said, everything you do, it counts like this much. But now I'm gonna show you the flip side of that. I, God, not me, love you. I am in charge of everything and I'm telling you right now, I'm gonna take care of you. And he uses this image of the flowers and of the ravens and look how beautifully adorned nature is and God takes care of them. If you want to pop to that image of the, yeah, there we go. Yeah, there's beautiful provision by God. And in this passage, he says, he, he captures it by saying, um, I love this verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. <laughs> you catch that, right? Like, hey, you dumb little people. <laughs> there you go. Diminutive flock. Nobody's laughing. It's the deadest audience. Let Jesus talk. He's so cool. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Let's go back to the image of the bigger fish. Like, I rule everything. So fear me, except if you're following me, you don't have to because... I want to give you not just the things you need, but everything 
the kingdom. Sell your provisions and give to the poor. And then it goes on to say, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I know Tim already taught on that and did a fantastic job. The point here isn't you can't own anything. In fact, God delights to give you things. It's, it's his. He gave it to you. Enjoy it and hold it loosely. Know where you are. So that's the setting for this. This whole chapter is God shifting our perception of the entire world so that we see him better. And then we get to the part that we, we had read to us today. All right. Um, I'm going to make sure that I do this right. So hold on. That first part is the backdrop for our text today. This all-powerful and terrifying God, 1 through 11, and the next section, delights to give things to you. So seek him. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you see the double-sided relationship piece he wants to give to you, so go and seek from him? There's this relational piece, and this is what moves us into the next session. And the our next section, and the picture I see of this is going with the water imagery, that swimmer on the starting block, that swimmer. My husband, I was a swimmer too, but not a real one. Um, my husband was. He hates when I tell this, but he qualified for the Olympic time trials. He's. Can you say freaking in the pulpit? No. Awesome. Okay, <laughs> all right. So I have these images in my head of that starting block thing, and I don't know if you know this, but when you're up on the starting block, ready to go, that isn't him, he was way better looking than that. Anyway, when you're up on the starting block, <laughs> ready to go up, you don't ask for a do-over, you don't call a timeout. They can wait and you stay. If someone goes, you stay. If the buzzer hasn't been buzzed yet, you are ready to go at all times. Why? Well, it's the response to that thing that we just talked about, about how much he values you. You're mine, I long for good things for you. Seek good things from me. Be ready, be ready. My kids, um, we have a family that we carpool with and we've carpooled with them for like 12 years. And uh, they have my children so much better trained than I have my children. They like to not wait. So when they pull up in front of our picture window, they have about a three second patience time. And then they will either honk or come or whatever. My kids just plant themselves in front of that window like 20 minutes before they're even supposed to be there. When there's more than one of them at home, they'll take turns. Like, can you go do this? I have to go to the bathroom. No, I'm at the window. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. I wish I could do that with them. But every morning, this is the picture. And the bag's ready and the lunchbox is snapped to the bag. And if they've forgotten something, they're gonna go out that door without it, period. They're gonna be there for that family. <laughs> I love it. Every morning, I'm like, Best parents ever, driving away with my children. <laughs> That's the image. Be ready. But he's going to take this image and do something that it took me forever to see. He's going to say, hey, guys, I'm, 
coming back. And even a servant would know that if the master goes away and he's going to come back, that servant doesn't leave their post until the master returns. You just don't. It's, it's your job. In the Old Testament, there's this place where God says, you know, like, hey, even an ox knows the master that feeds him. Like, even, even a dumb animal does the right thing. Even a servant waits for a master. How much more would you be ready for when God returns? And then, like the icing on the cake, he says, because it's going to be very, very good for the servant who waits, because you're going to be blown away by what happens. What's going to happen is when the master returns, he's going to put on servant's garments and serve you while you recline at the table. Cool, huh? Like, their job is to be ready to serve him. And he says, but when he shows up, just, I mean, it's going to be so worth it. It's going to be beyond, it's going to blow your mind how worth it. You're going to recline at the banquet table, and he'll go ahead and take care of you. It's this amazing image of what leadership looks like when we've already seen that in the beginning of the chapter. People are walking in a time where leaders are scary and not servants. And that's who God's going to wonder they're waiting no wonder they're waiting. That's awesome. I had this illustration. I'll throw it out there because, <clears throat> but it's not as powerful. But I want to talk for just a minute about even if it weren't that way, it would be our job to wait, to be ready, to be watchful for him because we love him. Uh, in the academic world, I have to school my students on this all the time. If you show up to a class and your professor is not there, you don't get to leave. In fact, if a professor shows up and you aren't there, they can just dock you for the whole class. You're expected to be there, right? You take a class, you're expected to be there, and you can get your attendance knocked off. If your professor shows up, or if you show up and the professor's not there, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but do you know how many minutes you have to wait in the classroom before you're allowed to be excused without penalty? Yeah, that was one of my students. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fifteen. A professor has a PhD. They have 15 minutes that they can go strolling on in there. Now, a good professor will not abuse that. And a well-meaning professor won't abuse that often. <laughs> but there is a, a dignity of place. And if there's a dignity of place for someone who sat in a chair and paid enough money to get a PhD, how, how much more dignity of place? is there for God of the universe, who says, wait. And then he switches metaphors in a way that confuses all of us and starts talking about a thief in the night. And we're like, wait, is God mean? Hmm. Well, he could send you to hell, but nobody's laughing. You guys are like dead. Okay, maybe I just need to stay on task. All right, Tim's laughing now, okay. You're not helping. <laughs> I don't even know where I am anymore. Ah, uh, yeah, he switches metaphors. And 
he says he will come. This is where we get that phrase, like a thief in the night. He said, uh, if the master knew when the thief was coming, he would have extra people on guard. And you're like, thief? Eh? No, this is just imagery in the ancient world for you're not going to know when it happens. We have that image in the Old Testament as well. And, it, and, and the context is different, but it just means no one knows when this is going to happen. So be ready. Keep seeking. He's going to shift images one more time. Hold on, I forgot to read something. There's a lot in here. Bear with me, guys. All right. As he's saying that part to them about keep watching, keep watching, be ready, be ready, be ready, Peter asks him, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Like, <coughs> is this for the people? I mean, it doesn't say that he has a snarky attitude. I'm just reading that into it. But Jesus is going to play off of that. And his answer is basically yes and extra yes. So yeah, it's for everyone. And extra yes, it's for you. And then he goes on, because I can imagine, I'm not sure, but I can imagine in Peter's mind, it's like, we already know this. (laughs) Look what you're teaching to the crowds. And based on what Jesus says next, I'm pretty sure he's saying even more, you, my disciples. And what he does is he unpacks, hey, if you're mine, this message is for you. And if you're mine and have been given responsibility in my kingdom, woe to you. This message is really for you, and it is a weighty, weighty responsibility. This is why I'm terrified to preach. Terrified to preach. You guys know this. You all give me my little, yay. It's not the crowd. It's not the message. The message I have every time is awesome. Sorry, that sounded, it's the Bible. It's awesome. (laughs) It's the weight. It's the weight of the task. It's the responsibility that Jesus is laying on them right here. And it kind of points us back to those first 11 verses. There's all kinds of back and forth in this. That's why images are so fun, because they can be played with on so many levels. And Jesus is a master at this. But he's driving home the importance of a good use of authority, especially a king. How many of you, you don't have to raise hands, you can, are called to ministry in some form formally? Everybody does ministry. You're walking Jesus light bulbs. But if you're called to it in a particular form, these threats that we're kind of scared to read, it's terrifying to be up here talking about, well, you'll get extra blows. 
those are for you. Use your authority well. I feel like in the first part of the book, he was looking at the people and he's saying, go back to that, there's always a bigger fish analogy. You people that he's talking to, you're the little fish in the front that's trying to get away and there's this giant shark coming at you and he's saying, don't, wor don't worry so much about the giant shark because there's going to be like a megalodon. Did I say that right, Avon? Okay, good. Right behind him, it's going to take the shark out. I got you. Whatever happens, I got you. And in this part of the passage, he's talking to the shark. That if you've been given that kind of authority and responsibility, be very, very careful with it. He's changing our perspective. We're no longer top dog in that scenario. We're under double pressure because he's entrusted. The servant that knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. Those are hard things for us to talk about, especially in our culture where we don't think anyone should be beaten with any blows ever. But the image back there was the punishment and the accountability. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And then he goes on to this spot where he starts talking about division. You think I came for peace, but I came for division. You're like, I give up. This goes against everything that I was taught about the New Testament Jesus. I was taught that people expected him to come and raise a riot and do this medical camp, medical, military campaign, and that he didn't end up doing that, and he brought peace instead, so everybody's upset with him. And he's playing, I think, even with that image right here and saying, no. And I think he's also playing off of Peter's question. Is it us that you're talking to? Or is it everyone? And he's like, there's no more us and them, guys. There's no us and them. The image from the Old Testament that comes to mind is when, um, uh, watch me get it wrong, but the angel comes to uh, Joshua and he's like, hey, <laughs> now all I'm relying on to get this right is my veggie tails. Um, who, who, whose side are you on? And the angel of the Lord is like, no. In the name of the Lord of hosts, I have come. There is no side. There's God. And that's what this image of um, family metaphor and friendship metaphor, all through the scriptures, when it's used like that, it's used to break down the barriers of the stereotypes and the categories that we think we live in. I am a Jossberger. Jossbergers never quit. Jossbergers like camping. It says, mm -mm, those, 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 division, those, those categories are all wrong now. They're, they're done away with. You're either for me or you're not for me. There's something that does run thicker than blood. 
and that's your allegiance to God. And then we get to our very last image in here. It's uh, of the skies. One, we have like a Portland sky day. Mm -hmm. And he says, look, you guys all know how to tell what the weather's going to be like. You can look up in the sky and you're like, huh, looks like it's going to rain. Good. Good job. That's not like simple stuff. And you can look up and it's sunny and in Portland, you know, oh, it's not going to rain, but it's going to be cold. Right? We can, we can read the skies. And yet, in all of that, they can't figure out the simple message of who they serve and who God is. You do catch the irony. They're literally being talked to by God. By God. I love you. <laughs> and they're having trouble hearing it and understanding. If you see this paradigm shift that's happening in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus is telling them, the world that you see that is absolutely broken and disheartening is not all that is. There is a God who rules everything, holds everything accountable, takes care of you, and demands that you be ready to serve him. That's the call. As we get ready to respond to that call with communion, I just want to remind you that the, the man, God, who spoke all this is going to live it out in its truest form before we get to the end of Luke. He's going to do what we've come to just get used to hearing but was absolutely unexpected. That God that's the biggest fish is going to sacrifice his life. He's going to die and be raised again to cement your place in that kingdom because he loves you. And as we take the wine and the little faux bread, it's done to remember the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Heavenly for drawing a picture for us that is so easy and we can't see and for reminding us of the proper use of authority by living your authority well. Help those of us who are struggling with the way that authority is being used on this earth to cling to you as the bigger fish and also at the same time to bend our knee in worship and emulate to this world as we look around to serve others. In your precious name we pray.
Amen.